Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. Welcome aboard. It's Thursday afternoon, fresh thinking time. These weeks are just flying, flying by. It's really quite something. So that's why we have to, as we near the Shabbos break and as we round up the week, we have to bring in something which is meaningful, something that will add value, something that will help us to think out of the box. That's what we do over here Thursday afternoons at Fresh Thinking, and you are very much part of the experience. So make sure that you have these numbers handy if you're going to send an SMS. It's on 34519, and if you're going to WhatsApp, it's on 0618951019. You can also tweet at Chai FMS. I see some people have already done and at Rabbi Shish. Now, the thing is that I was thinking about it the other day that once upon a time it was a big deal to be the pioneers of talk radio. And it seems that here at Chai FM we are the pioneers of text radio because that's how most of the conversation happens via text. But that's fine. We can handle that. So go ahead and share your thoughts with us. We're going to talk today generally about marriage and specifically about the modern experience of marriage or millennials and marriage. And I'll tell you the reason what, uh, what inspired me, the reason that we're talking about this today is because today on the Jewish calendar is the 14th day of the month of Kislev. Kislev is a very positive, upbeat, bright, joyous kind of a month, very popular for weddings, not only here in the Southern Hemisphere where the weather is conducive, but all over the world. And that's because it's considered a time of incredibly powerful and positive energy. So Kislev is a month of weddings. More specifically, and a big feature in the Chabad world today is that 14 Kislev is the wedding anniversary of our Rebbe and Rebetzin. That's back in 1928. And so that means 90 years. Today is 90 years, the 90th anniversary of that wedding. And I thought, what more appropriate way to celebrate and commemorate such a milestone event that's uh, such a big deal in our community then to talk about one of the most important things we need to talk about in relationships and marriage. So I'm going to throw out a question for you, and that is what would you say is the greatest challenge to millennials around marriage? What do you think millennials struggle with, perhaps a little bit more than in previous generations around marriage, or maybe not more than previous generations? Just what are, what are the challenges around marriage for people living in the 21st century, people who are on the threshold of marriage today? 0618951019. That's for WhatsApp 345194. Text. Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. I know what's going to happen, obviously, is that there will be, on the one hand, those people who say straight away, this is the long litany of things that the... Uh the millennial community has to confront around marriage, which is unique and different and why we have a more difficult time than anybody else. That will be one side of the argument. And I anticipate there's going to be people on the other side of the argument who are going to say almost the exact opposite. In other words, there are going to be people who say, what are you talking about? The struggles of marriage are the struggles of marriage. And they've been the same. They've been consistent throughout the whole of our history. And that's fine. I don't mind if somebody feels that way. Well, then by all means, what are those struggles? What would you say are the biggest struggles? Uh, around marriage doesn't have to necessarily be only for millennials. It could be in general. And I think it's important we discuss these things because very often things are swept under the carpet, big issues, topics that people are 
grappling with. And very often by the time they are addressed, that ship has sailed and it's not so easy to fix it's not so easy to to sort it all out so that's what we're talking about over here today what do you think in your experience either as somebody who is yourself a millennial how do you think what do you think are the great challenges of marriage for millennials and if you're possibly the parent of a millennial or just somebody who observes millennials or if you think that it actually makes no difference at which stage of life you are or were when you got married let's talk about it what are the what are the challenges? I knew this would happen, and some of the messages that are coming through are exactly as expected. That the first thing, in fact, the very, very first response was technology. And I see that one or two other people are saying the same thing. So technology as an, an issue, as a challenge around marriage, I think it's very true, and I think it's a, a real thing that we have to consider. But let's, let's not just throw out a buzzword, because I think it's quite popular for people to say something like technology interferes with the married relationship. And perhaps it's fair to say that millennials are a lot more technologically connected than, let's say, the baby boomers or older. So, okay, fair enough. Uh, so, you know, you might say that technology is the problem. Let's, let's break that down. What does that mean? What's the issue with technology? Because I know for many people, and this is valid, for many people, the argument around technology will be because everybody is so caught up with their technology, therefore they are distracted and they're not present when they are with their significant other, when they are with their spouse. And I think that that's a very big part. Maybe you would agree with that, in which case – do, do share. Let, let us hear what it is that you think. But if, in fact, if, in fact, the issue around technology is specifically about the distraction factor, I'd like to know if that is something which is unique to millennials. So let's just put it into a different context. Would it be fair to say that before we had smart devices, we did have TVs in homes and, of course, there was the distraction around that, the compulsion that people have, for example, to watch their soapy or to watch the sport. And don't talk to me right now because I'm, I'm very caught up in the particular thing that I'm watching. And especially before there were such things as PVR, maybe it was a greater distraction because if you didn't catch it in that moment, it wasn't coming back in a hurry. And so people were very fixated to their screens. And probably if we went back further in time, there were other distractions. Is that fair to say that there might have been other distractions? Consider this. Consider that people would have traveled long periods of time, even though it was technically short distances, just to be able to bring back, let's say a person was a merchant in those days and they would have to go perhaps for three months at a time away from home in order to be able to support their family. So they didn't have technology per se to interfere or interrupt or distract, but maybe they had other things. People went to war and didn't see their families for months at a time. Things like that. So is, is it purely? Is it purely just a matter of distraction? I think what we would clearly differentiate is that any of the examples I've just given did not happen to inside your home, except for perhaps the TV set, which is probably the first major interference with the family structure. You might argue radio, but I don't think so. I don't know if it had the same compelling effect on people as uh, the screen does. So there's definitely, there's no question about it, it's inside our home. So let's talk about that for a moment because one of the things I suppose that we should talk about if we're going to talk about marriage and if we're going to talk about the, the challenges and the things that millennials face, let's try also bring in some Torah wisdom. I'd like to share some specific wisdom from the teachings of the Rebbe considering as today is the commemoration of the 90th wedding anniversary of the Rebbe, but even things that might be more accessible to the average person. 
We're currently reading the Torah portions around marriages. Uh, We're currently reading about Jacob and his wives. And, of course, the fact that he also had major distractions in his life. A brother who wanted to kill him. He was on the run. A father-in-law who did everything in his power to cheat him on every level, not only financial. And how Jacob succeeded not only in not being sucked into all of it, but to rise above and to be able to be very present for his family. And the result of that we know because he brought up a very wholesome group of people. So what lessons can we glean from that? And I think that this invasion of the intimate space by technology and other things, but specifically technology, because there really is nothing else that can climb into bed with you at the end of the day besides your smart device. That could be this major interference. You know, if a person was out earning a living, by the time you get back in the old days, you got back and that was that. You couldn't do anything for your business once you were in your bedroom at night or in the, at the dining room table, whereas today you can and you do. So you sit there at the table and you're supposed to be across the, 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 the table from the person who means so much in your life. But just hang on one second. I've just got to just see the, what this WhatsApp is about because it could be the one that I was waiting for, which is that important and is, uh, in, in fact, more important than investing in the future that I have with a person who I feel to be so significant in my life. So they didn't necessarily have that in the old days. And I think that that's a big deal. That's something that we have to talk about a lot. How do you create a boundary around the intimate space because it's very important. So that might be one of the great challenges of modern living. One of the great – I don't think that's unique to millennials. I think that's any person who is living in today's world has the invasion of technology into their space, and therefore they have the challenge of creating the appropriate boundaries. You know, when you get married, one of the first things that we do is we take the couple and put them under a chuppah. And yes, a chuppah is not actually closed, but it does – it does represent parameters. There, there are parameters to this relationship, and not everybody can stand underneath that chuppah. It's just us. So perhaps that's one of the places that we begin this conversation is around technology and specifically around creating that safety, that protection um, of the intimate space that it does not get invaded from the outside. Okay, what else? What else could we say are the greatest challenges for millennials around marriage. Here's uh, at Torah Lane on, on Twitter says, In my experience, millennials are unaware of how truly special and powerful a marriage can be. I wonder if people would agree with that. And again, especially if you are also a millennial, would you agree that, that millennials are not aware for some reason? And I'd like to also know why you think it is. Why do you think it is that a millennial should not feel that marriage is as powerful as, say, one generation back would have felt? For what reason? What's unique? I think we've got to, you know, if you're going to say something, I suppose you have to motivate it and you've got to give some kind of depth to to the perspective that you're offering. So why? What's, what's the reason? What's the reason that people might feel that way or that you believe that people might feel that way? And maybe, as I say, maybe there's people who disagree with that vehemently and say, what are you talking about? We see, we acknowledge, we understand, we appreciate that there is great value and power in marriage in spite of the fact that we're millennials. And if that's the case, we definitely want to hear your voice on this show because that's the point. He had different views and different perspectives and then try, of course, glean wisdom from the Torah because that's where real fresh thinking happens, not just by regurgitating things that we believe or have already heard, but by testing things, testing theories ideas, perspectives, arguing a little bit in a healthy space, and then, of course, bringing it up against the light of the Torah, which should give us the perspective that it is that we need to provide. So two 
two suggestions that have come through so far as to what the great challenges for millennials around marriage would be, namely technology on the one hand and having a lack of awareness of the potential power and value of marriage. I'd like to hear what you think about that. 34519 if you're going to send an SMS. Otherwise, 0618951019 by WhatsApp. And a few tweets coming through at Chai FM and at Rabbi Shish. So let's see about those as well. Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. And the best thing about having the text option on the radio is that you can send an anonymous message. So you could imply that you're talking about somebody else when, in fact, you're grappling with something yourself. My question is today, what are the great challenges or the greatest challenges in today's marriages, particularly for millennials? And I, I don't feel that anybody's touched on something which is unique to millennials so far. We've said, well, maybe, I don't know, the, the tweet from that at Tora Lane might be specific to millennials not feeling or appreciating the power and potential of marriage i'd like to understand that better why why would that be the case technology definitely a a a challenge to marriage not necessarily unique to the millennial i think it's any person who has access to technology and here's an sms that says money and finance are big problems in marriages definitely true Uh, i wonder what the stats are on that i believe i remember once looking into it but i believe that there's a considerable amount of research about how much money impacts on marriages and places strain on a relationship and sometimes even breaks that relationship altogether. So that's a real thing. And of course, our objective over here today is not just to create a list of the horrible things that people face in marriage, much more importantly, to talk about what to do about them and and perspectives on how to enrich and improve our marriages. I think this is something we need to be talking about on a regular basis. Here, um, the Torah Lane tweet has a follow-up because my question was, why? Why is it that you would think a millennial does not have an appreciation for the depth and the power of marriage? So he replies, I think there are several reasons. The secular message is that marriage takes away freedom and it is a burden. So there's the first reason that he gives. He's, he gives more than that. But let's start with that one. So he says, I, I'm assuming it's he. I don't know. It could be a woman as well. I don't know. Says that there are several reasons. The secular message is that marriage takes away freedom and that it's a burden. Would you concur with that? Do you think that that's a prevailing attitude? I mean, I do know that very often around marriage, talk about the off-roof at the, um, at the bachelor's party, I'm assuming, because to be honest, I've, I've never been to one, um, at the, the be- in the best man's speech, we know that there's a lot of disparaging language that's used around marriage. Oh, there goes another one. Another good guy lost to the cause. Just wait. You don't know what you're in for, that kind of thing. So maybe there is a compelling message or an overriding message that is shared with people that marriage is going to rob you of your freedom. Even under the chuppah, sometimes you have people say that, why does the husband break the glass because it's the last time he'll get to put his foot down? And, and it's all lighthearted, I suppose, and in tongue-in-cheek, and everybody means well. But is it smart? I don't know, because you're planting subliminal seeds in people's minds with a message which essentially says you've lived well until now, and you're about to put a ball and chain around your, fo- your foot, and life's going to be locked in. You will no longer be able to experience the wonderful freedoms of the single person. And 
probably many people do feel that way. Why should I shackle myself at this stage of my life? I'm young. I have opportunities. I can travel. I can go places. I can do things, live an exciting life. And at a later stage when things kind of slow down for me, then I'll settle down and get into this experience called marriage. So I wonder, is that is that really a, a challenge for today's world, the, the sense that there's a, a feeling of if you get into marriage, it's not going to be good. It's going to be something which is limiting. Here's somebody else says financial pressures. So there you go. I think that that is definitely something which you'll find as as quite a a common theme. Here's another person saying technology. So there you go. We've got two for technology and two for finances. And here's another person who says face-to-face communication rather than message communication. Now, that talks a little bit more to the technology perspective, but, but in detail. And, and I think it's, it's not only about technology. I think that there's, there's a lot that we could talk about on that particular topic. So let's go there for a moment. Um, I was part of a very interesting program last night talking about communication in marriage. And it's always fascinating to speak to people and and try and understand what people's perspective is on communication, what constitutes communication, how do you know if you are communicating successfully because everybody will tell you that the secret to a successful marriage is communication. Or people also say compromise, I suppose. Subject for a whole discussion in its own right. But communication, you've got to be careful with that word communication because surely in today's ultra networked, connected world, surely we're communicating far more than we ever did. I mean, you can literally WhatsApp every step of what you're doing. And I don't know that people necessarily do that, but we send a lot more WhatsApp information today than we would have given in verbal information in in previous times because it's easy. You just, you walk out of a particular environment and straight away you can shoot off a WhatsApp and you can even send a voice note and say, this is what just happened. And I, I'm, I've just come from here. I'm going there. I'm going to be late. This is what I'm thinking. There's quite a, it creates a tremendous ease of communication. So why is that necessarily a bad thing? Obviously, goes without saying that if you're sitting across from a person who is important in your life, the truth is if you're sitting across from any person, then it's disrespectful to pull out your phone and be distracted. But we're probably more likely to do it with those who are closer to us because that's where we feel comfortable. So I think it goes without saying, and we all know it, even though we're not necessarily good at applying it in practice – We all know that that's an invasion of the intimate space, and we all know that that is something which is unhealthy for us and doesn't necessarily stop us doing it. But can you say that technology is the enemy? Can you say that text communication is a fundamentally bad thing? You know, I I heard somebody the other day say something which I'm not sure yet if I agree with or not, so maybe you can help me with this. But it was interesting. So I heard somebody the other day mention that they think if a couple is going to argue, they should do so by text. Now, you can argue this both ways. So the motivation that this person put forward why you should have an argument over text is because it's it's not emotive. So you know what happens when you have a disagreement, particularly with your partner. What happens is as you speak, they speak, they respond. You get more agitated, so you respond more vociferously, and then they become more aggravated, so they're more aggressive in their response, and you try to be more assertive to protect your position. And we know how it escalates, and before you know it, there's a complete blow-up. And perhaps that could be mitigated through text. And maybe that's a good point. Maybe it is a good point. 
I've, I don't know. Like I say, I'm, I'm undecided. Jury's out for me on that one. Maybe you've got a particular thought. If you think that text arguments are healthier for a person, I'm going to show you another perspective that's floating around in my mind and, and why it's not necessarily the best thing. So that fits into our uh, conversation around the challenges of the millennial couple and I suppose solutions for those challenges. So here's somebody who's proposing that the solution, as I say, I heard this the other day, that the solution or one of the solutions would be to diffuse arguments by having them over text. And, and I just compare that to the fact that three different people mentioned that the issue is technology with one person saying specifically that the issue is communication via text instead of face-to-face. You see, that's the thing. Some people love confrontation and some people – are so non-confrontational that the text is the best thing ever because I don't have to look you in the eye and I don't have to feel the guilt of saying the thing that I know is going to upset you and I don't have to feel the scathing anger that you have at me for what I've done. So let's hide behind our phones and let's text each other. might help to diffuse emotion and may also deflect from confronting the real issues. So is it a good form of communication? I'm not sure, but I think that that could be a challenge of today's world is having different modes of communication and knowing when to use which. There's definitely a place for the text conversation, and there's definitely a time where the text conversation is not the correct means of communication. It's uh, 2.30 if you've just joined us. It's Fresh Thinking. You are with Rabbi Shishla until the top of the hour. We're trying to think out of the box. We're talking today about millennials and marriage. What are the challenges? I'm dedicating this topic to marriage specifically because it today, the 14th of Kislev, is the 90th wedding anniversary of the Lubavitcher Rebbe and Rebbetson. So it's a good day to speak about marriage and things that we could learn about it. And specifically right now talking about communication, the, the over Overarching question is, what are the unique challenges of millennials in marriage? Talking specifically right now about communication, the comparison between face-to-face versus text communication, the fact that so many people will tell you that the problem is the text, the problem is that it interferes with our face-to-face communication. Well, what do you think about that? You can send an SMS on 34519 or a WhatsApp on 061 Eight nine five one zero one nine. Otherwise, tweet at Chai FM, and as some of you prefer to do, just tweet me directly at Rabbi Shish. Now, you know, you go back in history, and the original couple in the, the whole of history was, of course, Adam and Eve. It's a, a story that I love because it, I think it gives us so much insight into the models that the Torah gives us for a relationship. It's only the beginning of the story. What's amazing about the first book of the five books of the Torah is how many of those stories are stories of human experiences and couples and family dynamics and parents and children and decisions about economics and where to live, real things that apply in our lives. And as the Talmud says, all of those stories that happened to our forefathers are there to teach us what kind of things we should expect to confront in our lives and how to deal with them. So there are many stories of marriage in the early books, in the early uh, parts of the Torah. The first, of course, is Adam and Eve. And there's a very interesting perspective, which is offered by the Talmud, that Adam and Eve were actually originally one unit. They were one being. And the expression that's used is du partsufin, which basically means, I suppose, what you and I would call a Siamese twin fused at the spine. So if you can imagine that kind of a picture, that is 
the more accurate Jewish tradition about what the first human was, rather than the story of Adam and then a rib that was cloned to become Eve. So in this version, what happens is you've got Adam and Eve, and they're completely fused together, and the operation, the surgery that God does to produce Eve as an independent being is not the removal of a rib, it's the removal of one entire part of this superstructure. So taking literally half the creature and turning it into a creature of its own, who, be, who, who takes on a name of her own to become Eve. Now, what's interesting about that is, if you consider, just to picture in your mind what it must be like to live with a Siamese twin. I mean, you can only imagine, if you're living with a Siamese twin, that essentially means that you, you are always communicating in some way or another. It's very, very difficult to hide from the person who's linked to you physically what's going on in your life. I mean, maybe you could just make eye rolls at somebody and they would never know that. And that's exactly the point because no matter how much they were in touch with each other, I mean, attached to each other in the most literal sense, fact of the matter is they could not make eye contact. And then God says, it's no good for man to be alone. There's a very profound lesson right there, which says if you don't have that eye contact, If you can't really look into each other's eyes and have that kind of a meaningful conversation where where you see the inflections, you see the micro expressions, you see the pain on their face, you see the anger in their quivering lip. If you can't do that, you can't really deepen and achieve an intimate relationship with that person. It's fascinating. It's really fascinating. The very first human story that the Torah tells us is that. It's the story of this couple. And this couple was more together and more connected than you will ever be with your spouse, even if you had a tracking device in your phone. And yet there was a sense of feeling alone. And I think that that could be one of the great challenges that millennials have is that because it's so natural when you grew up, we didn't. We did not grow up with smartphones in our hands. We remember, you might even remember when they started fax machines. You you might remember when they brought TV to this country. So the smartphone for you is not an inherent part of your life. It's a relatively new accessory that you use probably a lot more than you believe that you should. But you know that there are options. A millennial doesn't necessarily know of options. By the time they came into this world, smartphones were there. They were part and parcel of society. The longest time that they can remember, people were jabbing away with their thumbs on screens. So in that case, your entire frame of reference, the way that you communicate is very (coughs) technological. It always boggles my mind when you see people sitting at a social event and, yes, I'm not talking about on their phones because that's going to happen. I'm guilty as you are of being on my phone when somebody else is speaking or this and that. It happens. I'm not talking about that. talking specifically about people when they're meant to be connecting while they're talking to each other, so they're texting while the kids are listening to their friends bar mitzvah speech or bat mitzvah speech at the same time. And they're sitting there in the front, like right under the nose of the person who's speaking. And sometimes you'll see that phone come out. Off they go, shooting off a message. Might even be to somebody else who's in the room. So that robs you of the opportunity to look somebody in the eye without distraction and be vulnerable And expose yourself in the understanding that that will encourage them to be vulnerable and expose themselves. And that's where you deepen a relationship. I think that might be something that is a great challenge in the modern time and a great challenge for millennials. You you might not agree, and that's fine, because then you can voice your opinion. But 
I think look around and see what's going on. This could very well be a big thing. Do people still know how to talk to each other in a deep and a meaningful way? I heard this story. Um, the housekeeper in the, the Rebbe's house apparently once made a comment that one of the things that he found to be unique about observing the Rebbe and the Rebbetson as a married couple was exactly that point about communication. Because even before there were things like cell phones, the reality is, and I think we all can relate to this, that you will often have a couple sit in one room in the house and then yell across the house, so-and-so, where did you put my socks? So-and-so, what time are we going to that event? Right? It happens. People talk loudly across rooms to each other, which is an effective form of communication. It's not a deep form of communication. And so the housekeeper in the Rebbe's house reported that any time that the Rebbe had something to tell his wife, he'd get up from wherever he was and he'd go to the particular place where she was and he'd stand in front of her and look at her in the eye and then say whatever it is that he wanted to say. Now, that's that's profound and that's an incredible tool that any person can and should try to apply. Try and use it. Try and include this in your toolbox of marital tools. If you've got something to say to your spouse, and we know we're not going to get 10 out of 10 for it. That's fine. But growth is valuable. Improvement is what we're looking for. So imagine if you did that. And every time you had something, while you're in the comfort of your own home, you had something that you needed to tell your spouse. Okay, maybe not every time, maybe 10% of the time you decided, you know what? I'm not going to broadcast a message through three rooms in order to get to, because she's doing whatever she's doing in another room and I'm, I'm in this room. But actually get up and walk over and look her in the eye or vice versa, look him in the eye and say, this, this is what's on my mind or this is what I need to ask you or this is what I need to tell you. I think it's very powerful if we can take that effort. It's it, not only because of the conversation that you'll have at that time, but because it probably also subliminally puts into your brain that, hang on a second, can't all be on my terms. Sometimes I've got to step out of my comfort zone and go into the other person's space. And that's a very big part of what makes for a successful marriage. And maybe that's one of the things that uh, is is a, ch- a challenge for um, for new couples or for millennial couples is just that understanding that there's value in going out of your space to somebody else, um, making yourself vulnerable, allowing yourself the opportunity to step into their life. I, I wonder, is it true, is it fair to say, it might very well be fair to say, that people are quite reticent about it. People don't necessarily want to go into somebody else's space. Here's Brett who says, if each individual looked within themselves and got rid of their toxic behaviors and became aware of themselves and did what they could for the highest good, marriage would be great. A lot of stuff there. Look within yourself. Get rid of toxic behavior. Become aware of yourself. Do what you can for the highest good. It's a, it, it sounds like a tall order, but then again, maybe some people find that that is easier for them. I don't know what your experience is. You can share it. 34519 SMS number. Otherwise, WhatsApp 0618951019. You can tweet at FM or at Rabbi Shish. Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. So in response, I suppose, to my question earlier, what are the uh, big challenges for millennials in marriage? Here's Rabbi Eli on Twitter who gives three. Number one, 
finding a good role model to emulate. Let's talk about that for a second because a lot of what people are seeing, you have to remember, and, and, and maybe, again, it's not unique to millennials, but there's a tremendous exposure that we have to all kinds of high-profile personalities. And, and when you look at what goes on in their lives – it's not necessarily the model of what makes for a happy or successful marriage, but yet those are the people that, that everybody – well, not that, that everybody. There are many people look up to and they give a, a lot of credibility to. So he's saying that challenge number one is to find a good mo- role model to emulate. Number two, patience and perseverance. Now, we are not a patient generation. We're not. I saw somebody said the microwave generation. Um, a few people have actually said that in different ways over here. Yeah, we live in a world where instant gratification is put first instead of effort. There's somebody saying it. Um, here's another one. Microwave, hashtag microwave generation. Patience will be the key challenge. So it's interesting how similar themes come through again and again. And there's no question about it that we believe as Jewish people one of the reasons you get married is actually to develop or perhaps to test patience. But that's for sure. And then the third point that Rabbi Eli says here on Twitter is personal responsibility. And what's interesting about that is I did see somebody else comment a similar thing. Uh, people don't want to take responsibility in today's world. It's, it's quite a broad statement, and I'm sure that people will say, but that's not me. But very often, we're happy to blame the system, the environment, the pressures of work, or or just financial pressures, the petrol price, the political climate, the climate at large, climate change, what's going on, the, the peer pressure, and so on. And at the end of the day, let's be honest, I mean, all of those things might be valid, but at the end of the day, you have to live with you and you have to live with your circumstances. And if there is going to be some kind of pressure on a marriage because of things which are from the outside, well, then you've got to kind of, I suppose, come up with a way to to withstand or to bolster yourself to be able to withstand those kinds of challenges. You know… As I said, we're talking at this time of the year about our forefathers and Yaakov, Jacob, in the the Torah portions that we're reading at the moment. He had many external challenges. He had a brother who wanted to kill him. He had a battle along for over 20 years to establish himself financially. He landed up living in a hostile environment. I mean, everything about the environment was antithetical to who he was. And that didn't stop him from having a very healthy relationship with more than one wife. And we're not going to go down the polygamy discussion today. But the fact is, the fact is, the external things, all the things he could have blamed, he could have said, you know, the reason I'm not such a good husband is because I had issues when I was growing up and because I had to run away from home and because your father is terrible to me and all these various things that he could have said. In much the same way, I suppose, as any of the biblical characters could have blamed external circumstances. I mean, you can well imagine um, infertility puts a tremendous strain on marriage, and yet our patriarchs and matriarchs mostly suffered from infertility. And in some cases, you do see that it puts some kind of strain on the relationship, certainly Yaakov and Rochel, where she turns around him, Rachel, and says to her husband, if you don't find a way for me to have children, I'm as good as dead. And he says to her, who am I, God, that I should grant you children? So we do see that. But the fact of the matter is they stuck it out and they got to a really good place. And they are models for the success of marriage. So, yes, not taking personal responsibility I think is a big challenge. And at the end of the day, there are – I once saw somebody put it this way. There are two people in a relationship. That means that 
each person is re- responsible basically for 50% of the relationship, but each person is 100% responsible for their 50%. And that's a very true insight. Uh, Jay Utah on Twitter says the greatest challenge for millennials around marriage is finding a spouse. The rest is commentary. I wonder if people would agree with that. Would you, would you agree that that's the case, that the biggest challenge is to actually find somebody who's a suitable partner who you would want to spend the rest of your life with? I know a number of people have thrown around the word disposable in various ways. I mean, I'm just, uh, I'm just summarizing it as disposable. Here, commitment, somebody's saying, uh, don't chuck it out because it's not working perfectly. Here's another person saying instant gratification. Uh, here's another person that says social media is a great challenge. Another person says... Um, the perceived expectations and a sense of entitlement. So there are there are various challenges, I suppose, that come up. And I wonder if one of those challenges is interesting. Only one person has said it, that the biggest challenge for millennials around marriage is actually finding a spouse. I wonder if everybody would agree with that. Not sure. Beautiful quotation somebody sent me over here on Twitter that goes like this. Marriage is building a life together, a family and a home. As two lives unite to form one over time, there is a point where each partner feels that they are part of the other and where each partner can no longer visualize life without the other. And this is attributed to the Rebbe, which is nice because, as I said, that's the reason we dedicated today's show specifically to marriage. So it's building a life together. That's quite an insight. And two lives that unite to form one. To me, one of the one of my favorite teachings of the Rebbe around marriage, and it flies in the face, I suppose, of a lot of what we're taught about compromise. And it doesn't necessarily address a specific issue, but it may address all of the issues. So the quotation or the concept goes basically like this, that you get three kinds of marriage. You get one kind of a marriage where everything in the marriage is about one particular component, usually one person. So let's say, for example, use an extreme example. If there's an abusive relationship, then it becomes all about one person. So I'm I'm in control and you have to conform, and that's very much a toxic marriage. Then you get the two-dimensional marriage, which is basically the, the concept of compromise. So I'll put in my part, you put in your part. And you know, if I if you give me what I need, then I'll give you what you need, and everybody will be happy, and that can that can work. You can have a successful marriage, and it can last, and everything's fine. But the goal is to reach what we call the three dimensional marriage, which is essentially to say, there's you, there's me, and there's the marriage or the us. And a lot of times, what happens, a lot of the conflict that happens in marriage, is around the you versus the me. So how, you want that, but I want this. How should I give you that if you're not satisfying this? Whereas when a person takes the view that there's a third dimension to marriage, there's something that we're both trying to create, the us, the realm that we're both living. You know, when a couple gets married in the Jewish tradition, so they get married under chuppah, and that's basically to imply there's something that is greater than both of you. There's something that the both of you live within. That's one of the symbolisms of the chuppah. You now enter into a space. You didn't create the space. The space was there. You've entered that space. Your job now is to build that space and to take that space to its ultimate potential so that's the us that's the third dimension it's not about you versus me it's not about if i get my way i'm willing to do things for you or if you are willing to sacrifice x for me then i'll compromise and sacrifice y for you but it's rather to say every single 
day within the marital experience to say, so, so what can we do that's going to enhance the us, that's going to enhance the marriage that we both live in? And it's a very interesting and quite powerful way to go about it because then you diffuse a lot of the power struggle around me versus you and your needs, my needs, and you start talking about the needs of this concept, this reality, this world that we have chosen to create together. What, what does it need? What does it need from me right now? What does it need from you right now? It's not personal. It's not an attack. It's not an expectation. And I do think that that comment earlier, I don't remember who said it, that one of the great challenges for millennials is their unrealistic expectations. That's a very big deal because people do have all kinds of expectations, not only because of the things that they've seen on TV and in glossy magazines, but also because people, for whatever reason in today's world, have this expectation that everything is coming to them. Uh, not unlike the concept that if you stick something into the microwave in two, three minutes, you should be able to eat it. Not totally unlike the concept that how is it possible that a shop does not have a particular product in stock? I mean, how could that even be? Not altogether unlike the concept which says if I have a particular view on life, you should all hear what I have to say and accept it. So that translates into marriage, into a very interesting expectation that what I want in the marriage is what you should provide for me and, and maybe that's going to unravel things whereas if a person says I'm here to be part of something greater than myself that's a complete shift and quite a healthy one at that join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 high FM 101.9 megahertz of power it's so interesting because some of the comments that come through are very enlightening and some of the comments that come through are just outright hilarious. And and then you have to wonder some of the comments whether the person means a tongue-in-cheek and that's why I'm sometimes nervous to share some of those because uh, if it is tongue-in-cheek, okay, then fine. If not, then we've got, then we've got issues. <laughs> interesting one over here. Somebody says… That the biggest struggle as a millennial is cleaning up the mistakes of the previous generation. Now, you've got to be careful with that, and it's a pity that it's a bit late on in the show because there are, I'm sure, many people who would say, what do you mean, cleaning up the mistakes of the pre- previous generation? It's interesting because somebody sent me an article, and I, I haven't had a chance to read it, but basically the article was stop blaming the millennials because actually it was – the previous generation, the baby boomer generation who wrecked all the big economies. <laughs> so uh, there you go, blame game. You see, that's what we do. We try and find something, someone to peg the responsibility on. And it actually makes no difference. It actually makes no difference what brought us to this particular point as much as what are we going to be doing with the circumstances that we have created or landed up in or whatever the case might be one thing is for sure if we're going to try and improve whether it be the marriage of ordinary people whether it be the marriage of millennials specifically whether it be somebody who's been married for decades already there's no question about it that as far as judaism is concerned the experience of marriage is an experience of self-challenge in other words pushing ourselves god has designed the system where you bring somebody into your life who doesn't see things the way that you see them in fact very often Almost the opposite, somebody who certainly doesn't have the same priority set as you. Be careful about that because in certain areas you do have the same priority set. Obviously, we believe the same things. We believe that this is the kind of home we should have. But you know how it is, the classic work versus home battle between husbands and wives often is a sign of a a priority set that is different. So whatever it is, I think to acknowledge and to realize that the process and the purpose of marriage is not to live in a fairy tale. 
Rather, it's to live with something that is constantly evolving and always challenging. And the, the, the benefit of that is that the challenge helps to bring out parts of ourselves that we didn't even necessarily know that we had. You know, you often hear people talking about how a married couple is like two parts of a soul, two halves of a whole And the reality is that when we say that, basically what we're saying is you have the elements of character, you have the insights that are exactly the ones I'm not strongest in or that I need most in my life. And that's why we're attracted to each other and that's why we land up being married to each other. And it's far easier said than done because the reality is very often that stuff comes up in a way that I find to be difficult, uncomfortable, maybe even hurtful. But the goal is to work, to work to allow ourselves to be vulnerable, to work to step out of our own perceptions and see the world from somebody else's point of view, to work to be able to find parts of character that are not natural to us, but we see them in our spouse and maybe they irk us, but they should really inspire us or at least teach us. And very often I think that is the problem that the millennial has with marriage because a millennial lives in a world where everything is pushed to them, push notifications. Everything comes my way. The the news is delivered to me. My groceries are delivered to me. My entertainment is delivered to me. Everything comes to me. And now suddenly I'm in this relationship that expects that if anything is going to happen, I'm going to have to step away from me. And that's a real challenge. It's a real challenge. And so that's something that we need to think about and something that we need to work about. So let's leave it on that note with a little bit of take-home exercise, right? Some homework that every person can think about and consider. What am I doing in my married experience to step out of me and the way I perceive and believe everything to be into the, the world of connection, into the world of my spouse, into a place where I might discover things about them and about me that are quite enriching and empowering. And that's really what it's all about. So let's all pray and hope that those people who, as uh, one person said on Twitter, are still looking for their spouse should find that person easily. And then those of us who have that person in our lives should appreciate and cherish what we have and just as importantly should invest in making that experience the part of our relationship that is way bigger than the sum of the parts, that is way bigger than the two of us, make it deep, meaningful, and enriching. And all the blessings will flow into our lives from there. That's almost guaranteed. Have a wonderful Shabbos and a great week ahead.